You are listening to Written on Water, a podcast about death, life, and all the layers in between. I believe that by learning how to die well, we learn how to live and love completely. So listen and learn. listeners, mortality. To accept the concept of death into our lives and realize we're mere mortal beings brings so many emotions to light. I've had the unfortunate experience of confronting my own mortality and the car accident that took my dear parents from me and also the cancer that stole years from my older brother. It's brutal but necessary to face it. So let's do this together, shall we? Today we are chatting with Jonathan Kaplan, an old friend, who has been through the roller coaster of grief himself. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. And, you know, I think, you know, when you told me about this, I thought that you're doing a real public service. And I hope I hope I can add to that. And, you know, I think you and your guests are, you know, super brave and for doing this. And I think a lot of people uh, hopefully are grateful to to what you're doing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's It's been fun for me just to meet new people and explore different avenues of uh, faith and grief and life. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share some of your experiences with us. So um, let's dive deep into this because I'm going to let you explain why you're on this show because you've, you've dealt with a lot of uh, grief and death and different situations throughout your life. So Tell us about your experiences and confronting mortality. I know you've had it both to yourself and to your family. So let's, let's hear your story. Sure. Well, first we should say, or one of us should say how we know each other. Oh, this is true. (laughs) (laughs) So we were, we were classmates at Colby college class of 94. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, you told me you were doing this when we saw each other in June at the 20 something reunion. And, um, (laughs) You know, I was thinking back to the 2014, the 20th reunion in 2014, because I had six months previous to that. So December 2013, I had had, um, you know, major heart surgery in which they replaced my ascending aorta. Um, And, you know, I started thinking that it was at that moment when I showed up at Colby you know, about six months after, it was really the first time um, in many, many months that I had been all by myself Mm -hmm. and that I had been alone basically with like, oh my God, there's nobody around. And I'm left with like all this feeling about what happened. And you were only, I mean, what were you 40 years old at this point? 40, I was 40. Yeah. 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 And that's pretty, that was have heart surgery. That's, that's, it was, I mean, it was, you know, I think, and maybe we get into this for, you know, I think for the patient, you know, there's a lot to focus on. I think for those that care about you, it's actually, it's in some ways a lot harder because they're, you know, left kind of scrambling and scared. And, you know, at least I was too. Um, And it's just, you know, it's confusing and, it's this bit your body's betrayal like how could this happen right and 
you know, just left with these, you know, huge questions. Um, and, 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 in a way you had, so I did like, let go of all these things, these things right. that like, you know, like when I was at Colby, I swam, um, I did the Ironman triathlon a couple of years after like stuff like that. I wasn't going to be able to do anymore. Not because the doctors said, don't do it. They just gave me some guidelines, like, you know, um, don't do things that result in big spikes in blood pressure. Um, even something as simple as taking Crestor, which is like, I mean, that's a drug for like, you know, 67 year old men in my view. Yeah. But, or it was until I realized that basically, you know, if you go see a cardiologist, you're going to walk out, even if nothing is wrong with you with, um, baby aspirin and some kind of, um, you know, uh, blood, uh, cholesterol, blood pressure medicine. Right. So, you know, there was just, there was just a lot there. And then, you know, as, as you get, as we got close to the surgery, you know, you, these little things become overwhelming. I mean, we were, I know you've had a show on it, but you know, your will and power of attorney and how important those things are. And, you know, we were, we were well prepared. I mean, my dad is a lawyer who, who's done wills, trusts in the States his whole life. And, um, that's lucky. Wife's, yeah. <laughs> my parent, my wife's parents are lawyers, but they're very, they're very, they're people who are naturally very prepared. So you guys were buttoned up. <laughs> we were, but you know, Good that covers the big stuff. It's, it's the small stuff. Like, yeah. um, what's going to happen to my clothes if something goes wrong? How does, my wife, Allison, access um, my bank account, my Facebook right. page. What about know, like, all your passwords? Yeah, and passwords, that sort of thing. Who's like, going to tell all your friends? And does she right. know all your friends that need right. to? Right, yeah. right. And, and then, you know, I was left, we had a one-year-old child, a one-year-old son mm -hmm. at the time. It just started walking. And, you know, so I figured, oh, I'll write him a letter. I Aww. started to write it, and I, like, I couldn't even finish it. Yeah. But then I, I thought like, not uh, both because it was sort of overwhelming, but also because, um, again, it was a question again, like, how does Allison get the letter? I mean, I could print it out, right? It was on right. the computer, but she's got to like know to find the letter with the passwords to get on the computer. And I suppose there's the whole, do you guys get, does she get married again? You know, like how does, right, right. how does the life of the child and the, and your significant other proceed moving forward. Like those are all things I'm sure you've thought about, you know, on that question less so, although, you know, like in retrospect, it did occur to me and I, my, my personal hope was that, you know, it's, it's so heavy. Like the, the grief is so heavy that over time, I think you need to let it go to live. Yes. And that's what I would want for both of them to sort of yeah. just live their lives. Right. Um, but this, you know, I think um, to the, in retrospect, the heart surgery was difficult. What came next was probably the worst three to four years of my life. So tell us about that. Well, that, well, okay. So we had a one-year-old son and I think, you know, after the heart surgery, we were pregnant and my wife, I mean, we miscarried, which yeah. was like traumatic in a way, but like, I didn't have the wherewithal because it was, you know, just a couple of months after the surgery to kind of like really understand it. Mm -hmm. But then it, 
it, over the next four, three, four years, three and a half years, it happened five more times. Six miscarriages. That's a lot. It was. That is a good description. It was a lot. It was wow. Almost. And surgery. Yeah. Almost too much. Yeah. You know, Definitely. you get this, this deep sense of unfairness. Um, and I thought, I actually thought that was of all the shows you've done, that was one of the most important because it's one of those things that so few people talk about and yet is so common. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's also in my experience, you know, the, you know, normally like the more you encounter stuff, the better you get at dealing with it or the better you get at it. It seemed like I got worse and worse at, because the pain and the anguish and the frustration kept compounding. And the th thing is resilience build up over time. You know, it's not something that happens immediately. And so, you know, in my 19 years dealing with my brother's cancer and losing my parents, you know, a 20 year stretch is a good amount of time to build up strength and be able to grieve slowly in a way um, for all those things to happen within five years to yourself and to your family. That's, that's something that, you know, you can't expect to recover from super easily. Yeah. I think that's the one big thing. <clears throat> one lesson at least is that you have to forgive yourself. Yeah. Yeah. To take not, it easy. It, take it easy. Right. I mean, sometimes, I mean, one of my colleagues here actually said we would never treat a friend the way we treat ourselves sometimes. Yeah. And so but still, that was, I mean, that put enormous strain on um, us individually, on our marriage, on, on just our life. And it was sort of all consuming because nobody could tell us what was going wrong. And you would think, you know, we're in this big city. We have access to great medical care. People <laughs> making babies for, you know, millions of years. Um, and we never really got any answers. And I think you know, again, it's like your body betraying you, the lack of information, the uncertainty, um, the physical discomfort and pain. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking you guys each had trauma. You know, you had your own body betray you, as you said, and then your wife's repetitively kept betraying her and you're each dealing within your own bodies you're trying to grieve and heal and also deal with each other and then have this child that's that's a lot of stress for a marriage yes yeah yeah but thankfully we're we're here but i you know i don't it's it's not been easy <laughs> to well, say the least. i think relationships are easy in general but to have those kinds of stresses put upon it yeah and to have to make it through um i think that says a lot you know yeah well, I appreciate that. Yeah. And then also, I know you spoke briefly about one of your siblings passing away when you were a child, right? I did. So this, so I have uh, three siblings. I have a, a brother and then I have, um, my youngest siblings are twins mm -hmm. and they're six years younger than me. And when I was nine, um, my sister passed away so she was she was three um and you know at nine i just didn't have the tools to deal 
um, to sort of understand how to expiate that grief and the pain and sort of even understand what it was. Was she, was she ill from a long-term illness or uh, was well, sudden? you know, it was, it was, it was quick in a way. I mean, she had a malignant brain tumor. Oh. Um, and again, it's sort of, you know, I mean, my mom was so frantic. She couldn't, nobody could figure out what was wrong Yeah. for a couple of months. You know, we grew up outside of Chicago and this is, you know, it's 1981. Right. Um, and, you know, compared, so it's, you know, 40 years ago. Um, well, a little bit less. Uh, wait, 1919. 19, no, 2019. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't do the math. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> at any rate. That's why you're a government major, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> 38 years ago. Yeah. But, uh, right. Cause my brother, my brother's uh, 41. Um, you know, I, I mean, my parents, I think did the best they could, but you know, I could just imagine if that happened today, you know, and then on one hand you just have to say somebody still died. Yeah. Right. At the same time, I just think we're better equipped and more attuned to that kind of loss. And they're, they're more, there's more help available. Well, right? the, the you're, you're technology. Yeah. That's, it's amazing. Just in my brother's lifetime from 1998 to 2017, how the technology advanced and what trials were in play and just radiation. You know, my brother refused radiation back in 1998 because back then it was whole brain. You know, and he kept saying, I'm not going to get a lobotomy yet. And so mm. he waited and waited against all doctors' wishes until he got it. And I think it was 2015 for the first time. And that was directed. So it was a much different kind of experience. I mean, it still kind of left him with the same options in the end. But, um, man, technology has come a long way. So I can only imagine what your family was facing at that point, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so my mom finally took her to Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago. And that's where, you know, she really, you know, they found good doctors. They, they did. They ended up doing two surgeries. But, you know, you just can't, um, at least then, survive a malignant brain tumor. Right. And three years old, too. That's yeah. just, yeah. that's brutal. And I think, you know, for a long time, um, uh, I just couldn't, you know, I could talk about this as an event that happened. Mm -hmm. It was almost too painful to talk about her. So you had and to depersonalize it in a way. I did. Oh yeah. For years. And basically, you know, I, I mean, I left at 18, I left and never went home. Um, I mean, except, that, except to visit. I think it was, was it a result? It, yeah. What was it a re result of her memory? Like you still could handle? It was too much, you know. Wow. It was too much, um, you know. And, and then, you know, it was a relatively small, small town. And you know, I think our, my my parents wanted us to, you know, see the world. Yeah. Um, not not that you can't do that and and go back to a place like Joliet, uh, forty miles southwest of Chicago. So you basically yeah. you left at eighteen. And didn't go back because the guilt and the memories were still there. And even after all those years, so that was nine years later that you were still feeling the effects. Yeah. I, think, I mean, that was a piece of it. it yeah. Was a, a, maybe a large piece of it. Yeah. But, 
and you know, it took a it took a long time to get to that point to sort of, you know, forgive myself. I mean, I was her older brother. So did you feel like you didn't protect her? I enough, couldn't protect you know? her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I understand that kind of guilt. I mean, I, I still, even though there, I know I did everything I could and there's nothing I could have done, but you know, I felt like, could I have cared for my brother better? Could I have done anything more to support him? And it's just, it's survivor's guilt really is what it is. Mm. I mean, and you can't, there's no, makes no sense because you were a nine-year-old kid. Right. What could you have possibly done except hold her hand and take her mind off things? You know, like that wasn't your role, but you can't help but feel some sort of responsibility. Yeah. And uh, even like, even in that moment, describing myself that way, I can still feel like all that emotion. Yeah. Come up. Yeah. And did you finally start to process it as time went on or? Did you <laughs> Apparently start... not. If I still feel all that. Do you? you know, all that. All yeah. I, you know, but I, yeah, I mean, and yes, I mean, I have a better understanding of what happened and, and how it affected me and, and how to manage that grief. Uh, and you know, a couple of months ago, I was able to go back. I was back in Joliet for the first time in at least 10 years. Wow. And I went to visit the cemetery, you know, and I was able to, you know, talk to her and and let a I think in that moment let a lot go that's pretty amazing <laughs> I mean, do, you, do you ever think yeah. about what she might be like as an adult or how she might have grown up I think that I think that's what like thinking about that like I I can't I mean and I think that's why I was it got I got so emotional at the at the cemetery mm -hmm. trying to tell her you know all that all the you know everything that's happened Mm -hmm. You wanted to share it with her. But it's so overwhelming. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, yeah. how do you condense, you know, decades <laughs> to a person that hasn't been here, you know? Right. It's, it's so difficult. But my opinion is they're, they're here and they're watching, you know? So they're in, her, her death has influenced you. Her life has influenced you. I'm sure on a daily basis, whether you understand that or not, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, let me just, there was a lot there, you know, even, even in the moment we were talking, like to think, you know, she's not going to know my son. Yeah. Or Allison. Um, yeah. The, even like those two pieces of it are, are huge. Um, so, and, and then the question is, my, my son doesn't know, I mean, he's six. So, mm -hmm. Like, do I, like, I don't want him to find out from somebody else. I, I want to be able to tell him that I want, it's not a secret, you know, it's not like, and I kind of have an, an idea of how I'll do it. I just don't know the, the right moment. <laughs> yeah. Is there ever a right moment? Right. Well, that, yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there are, there are teaching lessons that reveal themselves, you know, and I'm sure he want, he'd want to find out about a beautiful sister, you know, a beautiful auntie that is an angel you know, right. in many ways yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you put it that way he could he could really grow with that and say my angel's here you know my angel's watching me hmm. which i'm sure she is you know um wow there's that's, that's a lot to process all of that i mean 
dealing with that as a child and now having, you know, your forties jam packed with stress and illness. Uh, it's, it's not easy. So do you think these experiences are all very different? Actually, they're different kinds of grief in a way, because, you know, you were too young to process your, your sister and then, you know, heart problems happened for you. You had to have your chest cut open and deal with your own mortality at such a young age. And then you're dealing with the unborn spirits of your babies that never manifested, you know? And so those are all kind of very different types of grief. Do you think, have you had to deal with them in very different ways, do you think? Or are you just, just a big bummer? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, I, I mean, I think, you know, grief is grief and loss is loss and it's it's managing and coming to understand how it comes out mm-hmm. that that was the big trick because i think it's a lot easier to be angry <clears throat> sorry than it is to be sad yeah and i think for a long time i would resort to like the anger right and it was okay. a, it's a good channel because it's and i'm not just saying like shouting at people and you know, ranting and raving. I'm just saying like taking that focus and applying it to work or exercise or, you know, some sort of task, like channeling right. it. Right. Um, but, it, you know, it was never enough. Like eventually you have to like talk about it and acknowledge it and express it. Right. To get yeah. to the sadness and the sad, that's, that's what I was afraid of that the sad, like, even when we were talking a few minutes ago, I mean, that kind of sadness and that emotion to, to realize that it's not going to end me. Yeah. But that took a lot of time to understand. Yeah. It's, it's complex. It's a complex web and you move through it in different stages. And really, of course, you know, I processed my parents' death when I was only 26, I think. And, and I had my, my brother was sick. So it was just stress upon stress, much like yeah. what you've been dealing with too. Um, and it was weird. I didn't even know how to function for a while. And the strangest thing, this is kind of gross, but um, I think my stress manifested through my body. It created an abscess. Mm. It was weird. It was super painful in my ear canal. And I never had anything like that before. And the doctor was kind of like, you know, what's going on? <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah. And I was just like, holy <laughs> crap. Like, I'm so stressed out that my body is, you know, yeah, reacting. Yeah. Right, right. It's insane. And I created, I got an eye twitch as well. Like, I didn't even know. Hmm. I had no, I'm come from an Indian family. You know, you don't talk about shit. Oh. You know, you do your work. You don't talk back. You respect your elders. And we don't talk about emotional stuff, you know. Well, in the that. Indian family, you barely say I love you. It's just like an implied thing. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like, it was weird to have to say love you to friends because I didn't grow up saying that. Right. You know, so, yeah. So my body didn't know how to do this. It didn't know how to talk to people. It didn't know how to emote, you know? Right. right. <laughs> Excuse me. And, uh. Basically, yeah, it's, it just manifested in the strangest ways. And actually, you know, what you had just said, I ended up learning how to do triathlons and I joined a triathlon team and I just exercised my head off to be able to sort of get to a new place 
you know, to yeah. be able to get that stress out and that emotion out. Oh yeah. I know. I through know. exercise, just as you were saying, you know, yeah. um, and, and it, it, def- it definitely helped and it got me to a new place of being able to deal with things better, but still wasn't able to talk about it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That came much later, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 And I think maturity um, and getting over your ego, that sort of ego breaking, you know, as I'm sure your heart attack probably gave you a big slice of humble pie, just as my brother's cancer or my parents' death did. But, yes, you know, once you get over yourself and stop caring what other people think about you, you can talk openly and freely. And it really makes such a difference in life, you know? It's the, you know, it's hard as, I mean, you've been in Washington. It's hard to be vulnerable. Yes. And you I have think... to have your body armor up at all times in DC. <laughs> it's true. But I think, you know, it, in some ways though, that, that doesn't serve, it didn't serve me well. No. So I, that was a big piece of it too. That... Well, I, I have to say that, you know, I worked for the state department when my parents died and it was so surprisingly just gentle with me. I wasn't expecting the government machine to be emotional for me, but they were very empathetic. Uh-huh. Let me take the time. You know, they handled me with kid gloves. Yeah. And um, I got to say, it was like the perfect employer to have that kind of tragedy happen with. Um, but conversely, everybody knew what had happened. And so I'd walk the halls and people would be, you know, the cloud of my parents' death was over my head when I worked there the whole time in many ways. Oh, hmm. It's, you know, it's it was, a small community. Yeah, know? sure, sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but D.C. is a tough place. You really have to be, you know, a mover and a shaker. <laughs> and a, stra- str- you know, strategy plays a lot in how careers form. Um, and so I get that you really can't be emotional and be vulnerable. Although, I don't know, maybe these days it might, well, maybe not under this current administration. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying more in terms of, you know, the people that you're close to, your friendships that, you know, keeping that distance, it didn't serve me well. Mm. And that, you know, I don't think, you know, if, if you had told me this story that, or if you had, if we had run into each other five years ago, Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure I would have um, been so forthcoming. Interesting. About, well, well, one, some of the stuff hadn't happened, but at least about, definitely about. I probably would not have would have brought up the heart surgery because, you know, a lot of people knew about it. It was on social media. Um, the scar on my chest was kind of raw, and you you know, with even, you know, a golf shirt, one shirt unbuttoned, you could kind of see the top of it. Um, the, I mean, that said, um, you know, this five years has taught me a lot. That is okay. That like admitting that I'm not perfect, right? That I. That's a, a big dose of humility. Right? Yeah. That I'm not, that, that is fine. It's not going to end me. Right? You're not going to think less of me. No. Like being part, being human right. means that right. we are not, we are imperfect. It means right. that things are going to happen and that we are going to die and we are going to have illness. Um, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's part of the human experience. And in fact, to feel those things means you are really experiencing life, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of place I had to get to. That makes sense. 
makes sense. And it's a tough place to get to. It's really not easy. It has been. To be that yeah. open. Yeah. You know, and to be able to come on my show and talk about this so freely too. Um, and how do you think these experiences have shaped your life day to day? I mean, you're raising a child, right? So do you think your um, parental skills have changed according to your experiences? Uh, I, I wish, like, I wish I could, like, you know, I wish it was like a movie where there's like, <laughs> you know, there's, you know, you're just going long, you get hit by a bus, um, or whatever the event is, you, you know, you kind of struggle with how to recover from it. You have a big realization and everyone goes on living happier, happy and happy, happily ever after. And, you know, you're a better person for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think. Yeah. I'm certainly like, I think I've always been much more attuned to loss. And I'll just tell you a quick story. Sure. I don't know if, if, if you remember, um, Cindy Sheehan, whose son was killed in Iraq, and she protested in front of um, George W. Bush's ranch. Okay. And, you know, she went to a meeting, and he, he you know, who knows what happened. He, he, like, apparently called her mom, you know, and I kind of gave the impression that he wasn't all that sympathetic. But she became sort of an icon of the, you know, an anti-war figure. You know, she was hanging out with, you know, Danny Glover and a lot of other sort of celebrities. And I ran into her one day in the Capitol when I was a reporter at the Hill. Uh And, you know, you could, I could see like this armor on her. And just in one moment, I went up to her and I said, I'm really sorry for your loss. And like, it all came down. Yeah. Like nobody had said that to her. Isn't that weird? It just... It, it is odd. It is, it is really odd. Um, yeah. So in, like in, in a moment like that, I can, you know, I can feel I can really identify with somebody. Yeah. You know, with this shared kind of experience. I mean, like everybody else, I wish I could do better at managing stress, at being more patient, being more forgiving um, of, of myself, of others. So I would, I would say no. <laughs> but again it's not because it's not because i haven't learned anything it's just because like i'm human you yes know? <laughs> yeah well I, I i think you could probably say that if anything you appreciate your son so much more than you ever might have had this stuff not happened that is that is definitely true that that is accurate yeah yeah, yeah. and you're probably able to love a little bit more fiercely because of it you know i hope so um yeah yeah, which is a beautiful thing, really. No, and I, I really appreciate you sharing all this. It's been, it's awesome. And thank you. I think it helps others to open up and share their feelings and understand that tragedy and loss is part of it all. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious. I ask my guests all the same, couple of the same questions every time. And one of them is, what is your vision of the afterlife? You know, I'm Jewish. Mm-hmm. And awesome. thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I listened to the rabbi on, on your program. And mm-hmm. my understanding is that, you know, for Jews that, you know, we do what we can while we're here to make a difference. Right. So there's like no reward in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. You know, the work and the effort is its own reward. 
you know, you don't do it. So you're going to end up, you know, someplace better or heaven or what have you. So I kind of right. like that. That's how I see it. Okay. That we're here to make the most of it. And that kind of afterward that, you know, I hope that we'll all be together no matter where we are. Right. I think that's a great approach. I mean, it really makes you live more conscientiously, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the other question I have is considering what you've been through in your life, what is the most important piece of wisdom you've learned to share with our listeners? Well, I think there, there are two things. The first is I think you need to have, you need to take care of yourself, especially in times of crisis. You know, you need to have the space, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, so that you can have compassion for yourself and so that you can have compassion for others, you know, when they're scared, when they're hurting, um, and when you are too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because it's, it's a, it's a very scary thing when someone you love is going through, you know, a, a big health crisis. And I think, you know, the second part of that is you have to be able to forgive others for not being who you want them to be. And you have to learn to listen and hear things in a different way. And you <laughs> yep. have to, to learn to, to hear the feeling and not get so caught up in the data and the content. And again, that goes back to ego, right? I mean, the reason you're listening in a certain way is because of ego, you know, whereas if you're listening from pure heart and love, you translate things in a different language in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, but if you're scared and when you're scared and stressed out, I think, it, you know, you have to have, find that extra gear to sort of, you know, to take a to slow down, to step back so that you can get to that place and hear things, you know, for how people mean them and not necessarily the words that they're using. Right. Right. I hope that makes sense. It does make sense. It, okay. I mean, really so much of how we interpret things is from a, from the place that we're at, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I made a promise to myself um, because my, brother's year of hospice was just so stressful and it was you know it's it was a fight or flight it was survival mode for a long period of time right trying to figure this out and keep him healthy well not healthy but dying peacefully I guess is the better way to say it um and there was no taking care of myself unfortunately I slept and I you know ate and I did all the basics and that's what survival mode was for me you know but I made a promise to myself to not make any rash decisions after he died because I didn't know where I'd be. I didn't know what state I'd be in. And it, oh, I see. Do you know what I mean? So it was a lot of practicing this patience of don't react. You know, let's just be in a place for a while, take a breather because your emotions are going to quickly change after one dies. You know, you go through these different stages and you know, you don't know where you're going to be at any particular time. So let's just take it easy and have patience with yourself. And really, I have to say it's been a year and a half and that really has paid off just to take that breather. Mm -hmm. No pressure, you know, just stay where you're at, you know, keep the job that you're at if you can. Yep. Um, take your dog for a walk, 
just do simple things. Right. (laughs) Just to get yourself off that adrenaline rush into a more normal swing. You know, now that I'm sort of at that stage and that's why I'm, I'm actually running the New York marathon in November. And the reason I'm doing it is because again, I think it's almost like the triathlon thing. It's a rebalancing of the self. Right. You know, it's immersing myself um, in this discipline. And, you know, anytime I get tired, I think of my brother Hmm. and I just dig deep and I say, he can't walk and he can't run. So I'm going to run for him, Hmm. you know? So it's, it's a rebalancing of that self trying to find the self again amongst all this trauma. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure you experienced that with everything. You're probably experiencing it right now. Yeah. Yeah. What you've been through, (laughs) you know? Um, um, how do you do that? And how do you not put the pressure on yourself to do right. that? Right. I think, you know, in today's age, I think, you know, with the technology and the iPhones and it's really hard to slow down Yep. and to find space. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm, to give a wide berth to however people can find it, you know, whether you want to run a marathon, acupuncture, walk across the country, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'm like, go do it. Yeah. Have at it. Yeah. And and the big thing for me was don't worry about what other people, what other people are saying. Like if anyone ever says, isn't she over that yet? <laughs> or <laughs> haven't you moved on yet? It's like, no, no, you don't ever move on. Yeah. Right. You know, you don't yeah. ever get over it, but yeah. with time and space, it becomes a bit more of a memory as opposed to your actual reality. Yeah. I mean, and there's that, still things yeah. that we, especially Allison will bristle at. I mean, I do too. I don't really like it when, you know, oh, you only have one child. He is he your only one? Um, because it's like there's, they. I don't know if they, they probably don't mean it. You know, people that just ask it randomly, but there's so, sort of a judgment in that. Yeah. It's hard not to hear it with that kind of judgment. It's also not hard not to take it so personally. Less so for me, because I'm not, you know, men don't carry children. True. True. But you're, you're fertile. <laughs> but it's really hard. I think it's really, I think it's, I mean, a lot of things more difficult for women. I think, you know, that, that one is like completely loaded with, um, you know, a lot, a lot. Like in- inadequacy. I mean. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you I know, try to, you know I, I would, knowing what I know now, I would never ask anybody um, only one, you know, oh my God, nine children, three children, whatever, you know, it's just, it's so personal and just, just like, I just leave it alone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, what kind of judgment is that? That's just brutal. Yeah. It's so insensitive, you know, and granted they may not be coming from a place of knowing what you guys have been through. So, but still it's none of their business. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) In general. And I, I'm very sensitive to how people, um, deal with the grieving parts of things as, as I mentioned before, but I've really become careful to not say, you know, when you're in the middle of crisis, you don't even know what you're doing. You know, you're just running around like a chicken with their head cut off and people would be like, what can I bring? What can I do? And I'm like, I don't have the time to tell you what to do. Right. Just do something if you want to do it. Yeah. You know, know, I have to say, you know, who has, no matter what you might think of her, Cheryl um, <laughs> yeah. Sandberg, uh-huh. option B. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a pretty good book. You know, I have yet to read that, um, but maybe I'll add it to my list. 
I think it's, you know, it's relatively quick and there's a, there's a, right. I mean, but her advice basically is for someone who's grieving or going through a trauma, you know, don't say, let me know what I can do for you. Yeah. Because it's too much. Like it's something like, Hey, I'm going to the in and out, you know, do you want hamburgers with, you know, do you want a cheeseburger or whatever else they offer? Yeah. Instead of being like, <laughs> what can I do? That's such a yeah. loaded question. Yeah. It's like, yeah. You know, um, but you know, I mean, yeah, I thought that, I thought that book meant. I think that book. There's a lot in there, and it it's a it's a public service that she has offered through you know a very painful experience. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, the you know she her husband dies, and and she's in that moment. She's not a billionaire or you know the most one of the most powerful women in corporate America, she's you and me. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And sudden loss is brutal because at least with the slow illness of my brother, I had time to kind of process things as we went. And by the time he died, I I, I had some acceptance of it already, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and I was happy that he didn't have to be in, in such a battered body anymore, you know, free. Yeah. But with my parents, it was a shock. It was like someone had cut off a limb and I was trying to learn how to walk again. You know, it was, it was takes you just completely off kilter and your life is just, you don't know what it is anymore. And so I get that with her. She's lost at that point, trying to figure it out. Yeah. 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 Well, well, I will add that to the list per your recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, Jonathan, thank you so much for being on the show. I think it's pretty brave to open yourself up to this and be able to talk about your experiences. It's not easy for people. So kudos to you for uh, wanting to be on the show and expressing your grief. And um, it's it's a lesson. So thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. It really does. And I'm um, I'm glad I could do it. listening to written on water don't forget to subscribe rate and review this podcast thank you so much for listening until soon